Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Michigan Avenue Media. A good story is a good story. Hosted by Marsha Casper Cook. Live shows every week with interesting interviews in the entertainment field with writers, producers, directors, and screenwriters. There's also shows about newsworthy topics and group discussions about writing tips to help writers reach success. New to the show are conversations about personal struggles and how to feel good about yourself in today's world. One thing's for sure, it's always a lively conversation and lots of fun. So sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. It's Marsha. And yes, I'm going to sit back today because Jack Remick is on and he's going to talk about whatever he wants, and Nicole Disney is here too, and it's going to be a great show. They're both great authors, and they've both been on before. Jack is like a regular, and Jack has free reign always. So, Jack, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, and then Nicole will talk, and then I'm just going to listen. Go ahead. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Well, I I write novels and poetry and short stories and even took a shot of the book of essays uh, I taught for a while at the UW, at the University of Washington in screenwriting and novel and all that that whole range of pieces. I just put out my twenty. I think it's my twenty-first book called Man Alone. Yeah. I want to talk about that a little bit more too. Yeah. Okay. Um, the the good thing about well, I worked for a long time with a. Uh, Catherine Treadgold at Coffee Town Press, and I think she published seven or eight of my books. And Gabrielle and the Widow was a finalist for the Montaigne Medal. And lately I just got an honorable mention and on the short list for the Hopper Grand Prize, which uh, makes Great. me feel good. Uh, you know, good. as usual, all those things don't necessarily turn into book sales, but it sure makes a writer kind of get some uh, final, some satisfaction that maybe you're doing something right. So uh, I work. I think you're doing something uh, right, Jeff. Yeah. I work sometimes. That. I work sometimes with other writers uh, because COVID, you know, changed the world uh, in so many ways. And I found that I now have a group of well, Nicole and I are on a third Sunday group once a month. The uh, six or eight of us get together, Zoom together, and work on art, poems, novels, whatever. And I find that that has extended my range of thought in in so many ways and one of the reasons that I like to do it is when you work with other people in any kind of a like informational mode it forces you to be much more aware of what you yourself are doing as a writer so uh, that pretty much wraps it up for me and that's true because I have a lot of different writers on and I've learned from Almost everybody. I, every show I take notes because it's something that I don't know. So I think that's the good thing about the show for me and for all my guests because we all just talk about off the cuff on what our feelings are. And so, Nicole, let's hear what about you, and then we'll move on. But you haven't been out for a long time, I think, already. It's been a while. Um, yeah, I was first published back in 2013. Uh, I'm primarily a novelist. I, I mostly write in a genre that publishing these days calls LGBT or lesbian fiction, but that um, yeah. really doesn't tell you much other than there's lesbians in it. But um, beyond that, I like literary <laughs> right, fiction, right. general fiction, um, romance. I, I also like to write short stories. Uh, flash fiction is something that I'm very interested in, particularly right now, as I've been kind of dealing with like some writer's block issues. And I've been finding that that's been an effective way to kind of work myself through that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a big deal right there. You know, did I, I never got to send you that, that we, you and I talked about this one little emailed about this, about when you're sort of stalled out, how do you get past it? Uh, I've mm-hmm. got something I'd like to send you sometime. It's called writing tips for the committed novelist. And it has a whole bunch of things about how to approach exactly that problem of what do I do now. So remind me sometime in an email, and I'll get that over to you. Fantastic. So, Nicole, I have a a big question for you. Um, 
You told me one time that you write novels with lesbian characters, but they are not lesbian novels. Could you go into that for me a little bit and talk to Marcia and me and give us some idea of what that actually means to you as a writer? Absolutely, yeah. This has actually been uh, kind of a, a long question of my career that I've sort of seen from different angles over time. But initially, the important thing to me, I was not aware of this genre that they're calling LGBT or lesfic, short for lesbian fiction. When I Jack, first wrote... Jack, what, Jack, Jack, can you... I had this, like, an emergency on my phone. Can you just keep sure, talking and I'll be right talking. back? Thank you. Thank you. Go on, Marcia. I mean, Nicole... <laughs> Yeah, we'll we'll keep it going, Jack. We're fine. <laughs> um, but anyway, so this is a this idea was kind of foreign to me in general. When I wrote my first book that you would categorize that way, I was just writing a book. And mm-hmm. I wrote what I wanted to write and the characters turned out to be lesbians, but to me that was not defining to the story or even important to the story, really. That's just who they happened to be. And then through the publishing process and running into a lot of walls with a lot of mainstream publishers who said, we like the story, but we don't have the audience for it. And I don't know how our readers would respond to these characters. A lot of kind of watered down ways of saying this is too gay for us. And finally, someone even went so far as to suggest that I look up in publishers that specialize in that. And then that led me to discover this entire world. And, um, that's just the concept that at first I very much resented because I didn't want to be defined that way. I thought it was so beside the point. So that's really what I meant by that. And through time and working with one of these publishers, because they did immediately take my work, I grew to appreciate so, that side as well. Okay. Well, you're working on a novel right now, I think you told me, called Liquid Amber. Yeah. How would you characterize that? Give us some sense of what that one's about and what it's, what's going on there. Because I, as I recall, that certainly was not, uh, could not be classified or even approached the notion of a lesbian novel. It, could you tell me about Liquid Amber? Yeah, that's a very good point, actually. That's something that if I presented it to an LGBT specializing publisher, they would kind of raise an eyebrow as far as why would you even send us this, even though that's now how I'm kind of seen as an author, but they would see that work and not be able to connect the dots because it really isn't one. But um, that's a novel that's literary fiction. It's about, uh, it's it's kind of a family saga of sorts, but it's about this Southern Belle kind of woman and her husband who is a businessman and has an alcohol problem. So she married him mm-hmm. thinking he was going to be a very so wealthy sorry. man. I'm he so was... sorry. I just missed this. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's me. No I'm problem. Welcome I'm back. sorry. That has never so happened. You... Okay. Let's push on it's, a little I, bit. I can't even so tell you what that your was. Your first novel was, was Dissonance in A what? Minor, right? It's about yeah. a rock band and stuff. How did you mm-hmm. decide... Well, let me put it this way. In in a piece, in a book that I put out called Pieces, I have a section called The Long Road from Experience to Fiction. You know, so in a in a novel like Dissonance A Minor, you have a, a rock and roll singer, you know, that then is she gay? How did you decide on that kind of focus on that? You know, what what took you on that long road from experience to fiction and this dissonance in A minor an experiential novel in that sense, or is it a transformed experiential novel into fiction? Is that, a, is that Can you even answer that question? Oh, I think that they're all a little bit experiential and transformed into fiction. It, it's hard to, to say that anyone can even write outside of that because you can only write as yourself in your collective experiences. So I think they're all transformed um, to an extent, but that one is, heavily fiction i put a lot of effort into making sure that that one was like whatever that core of truth is you you keep that and the rest you change it and you transform it until it's something completely different so moving on then to the clinch you know what how much of that is experience what see i guess what i'm digging for here is the question 
the difference between memoir and memory transformed into fiction. So how does the clinch fit into that journey from experience to fiction? The clinch very much yeah. resembled my life at the time because I'm a lifelong martial artist and that is my passion. So it, I, I have that that love for martial arts. That's real. But the story itself, I've never experienced really any of those things. So I think that the difference <laughs> memoir. Martial arts, mar- martial arts <laughs> is really a, a wonderful thing for they should teach it in schools in, for gym. I mean, it's so good for the mind, and it's Mm -hmm. absolutely good for the body. And I think a lot of people don't understand how good it really is. I took it for a while because it's very, it's such a great thing to get your mind going. And it's not empowerment always, but because you don't have to be great at it, but it's a good, it's really an interesting concept, I think. And I wish they would teach it. It's it's really good for kids for self-confidence too, I think. I think I When did that you on the cover of the clinch? Is that you on the cover of the clinch? <laughs> no, it the, is not. <laughs> it what, is what, not. What, did you start very young? Did you start very young? It, it, I did. Yeah, uh, I started when I was five, and I've been involved. Five? I've I've gone oh, through different wonderful. forms. Yeah, yeah, I've been in various different arts, but I've been doing something since I was five. Yeah, I think well, I, I think it's, I think we have a lot of stories. What, Jack, I want to say one thing. Stories? We have a lot of parents that listen to this, and so I just wanted to say, if your child is being bullied or doesn't feel good about themselves, think about martial arts. I think that would help oh. them greatly. Nicole, do you agree on that? Don't you think that would be something to make Absolutely. them feel better? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If I had a child, I would make it mandatory at yeah. least for the, their formative years. You know, maybe, maybe they don't have the passion they want to do it their entire life. But as you said, with the self-confidence and integrity yeah. and yeah. discipline, like just the, the character that it gives somebody outweighs yeah. even uh, the physical abilities. Yes. I think that's all right. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Jack. I just wanted to say, because I know we have a lot of people here that listen and they have kids and there's so much bullying going out there on out there. So I think it's a good thing that parents think about something like that. You know, because sometimes Great. parents don't know what to do, you know, yeah, when that happens. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and as, yeah. in, in the martial arts world, what what's the percentage of, of participants who are male versus female in any given, you know, what do you call it, a, a dojo? What do you call it in, in your area? Uh, well, yeah, it depends what kind of art you're doing, but dojo, dojang, just a gym these days, a lot of martial arts are calling it. But um, the the ratio is always pretty low for for females, but there's yeah. always a, a group, you know, yeah. maybe 10% yeah. or so, but yeah, uh, but there is, there is always a presence. And it's just about kind of finding the right gym where you feel like your family and you've got you know, other other girls is great, but also one where you feel comfortable with the men is essential because they are going to outnumber you significantly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a very good question about girls. Girls should think about these things, young girls, you know, because I, I do think it's good, you know, to start young if they can. Do you see yourself moving into an advocacy position with respect to women in martial arts, is that something you'd encourage? Not just you say kids, but you do you mean specifically girls? Um, I think all of them, actually. I think in general, I wouldn't mind uh, speaking to the benefits to girls specifically, but I think boys yeah. is just as vitally important because it yeah. doesn't just give them skills for violence, but it it actually controls that. I think there's a stereotype and a concern that it will make them violent, and it actually does just the opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, in yeah. in the clinch, you're working against the stereotype in a way, aren't you? That you know, there's somehow this is a violent world where people tear one another apart. You know, you you do express the the fact that it's a very controlled kind of violence. It's it's controlled uh, force in a way, isn't it? It is. It's controlled force, and all of that training it goes back to the way that it is so centered around your character and respect. There's a bond between competitors and teammates where there is no hostility. So there's violence in the sense that you are employing violent 
tactics, but there's no violence in that person's spirit, and that's the defining difference. Let me ask you a a very personal question here. Have you ever had to apply your martial arts outside the gym? (laughs) (laughs) That's a brave question. You can answer that any way you like. Uh, or not at all, yeah. or not at all, or not at all. We can move on. <laughs> I think, yeah, you I know mean, what, we'd all, we'd all like to be of uh, strength like that. I think that's, um, because that's why I was saying, because mental strength is okay. just as important as physical. So, uh, you know, I think that's what it probably gives a lot of people mental strength to be able to deal okay. in the world, especially women that uh, feel powerless. So I think. But I would say back to, to answer yeah. your question so. that I think um, <laughs> to answer it on a surface level, have I ever gotten in a fight? Basically, yes. But yeah, more that's what I was asking. That, I wanted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, I have. Um, but I think that I've actually my martial arts has gotten me out of more fights than it's gotten me into. I have had yeah. to use it, and it does work, but it actually yeah. keeps you out of trouble more than it gets you into it. Yeah, okay. because you're strong. Okay. You know, the strength that you have. You have to be careful how you use it. Yeah. You know, yeah. And because yeah, well, let me, let it, me because ask it can you, lead to something that's see. not maybe great. Is that right, Nicole? Or is that what you're saying? Kind of. Well, I and mean, there's, there's confidence, but there's also just a respect for the reality right. of what fighting exactly. is, and yeah. and you understand how to right. not get involved in that and how to. Yeah how to evade those things, how to carry yourself with confidence so people don't really approach you in that way. And you can just see right. trouble and move away from it in advance. Or if it really comes down to it and you need to fight, they, it does work. It, it is effective yeah. at what it's meant to do. So, uh, Nicole, you've, you've now several times talked about the mental strength side of this. How do you see that that martial arts training and its mental discipline Influencing your writing. Not just I think in that goes back subject. to Go in ahead. Terms of the subject. Yeah, I mean, in the Clint, for sure, that book definitely wrote itself because I was so engrossed in that world. That was one of the best writing experiences I've had because I would go all day and train martial arts and then come home and write all night about training martial arts. Yeah. And that was super powerful. And that book just came out like with no effort and some of that for practical reasons, right? I don't have to stop and research everything. Uh, this is my life, you know? So in that way, yeah. 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 That's definitely writing what you know. Yeah. No, you, as I I recall, you told me one time that you write all of your work longhand and then type it up. Is that right? Yeah. I, I love working that way. That's, still how I write to this day. It it takes a while, but I actually think it cuts down on my writing process overall because by the time it's in the computer, it's already been cleaned up once. And uh, just the way it comes out, I just, I feel like there's, there's a creativity aspect to it and there's a connection thing to, to feeling it like the words going on paper. I think I tend to agree with that. Jack, Jack, do you ever, do you write longhand at all? I mean, Jack, do you write longhand? Oh, yeah. Well, let's say I used to. Well, for 20 years I wrote longhand, but then what happened is something happened and my my motor control went all to pieces and I can't read my my handwriting anymore, so I have to print. That slows everything down. What I have started doing is dictating a lot because that works almost the same way in releasing the unconscious to get it on the page. Although it does come on a computer first, which is not my favorite way to do it, um, but both yeah, men alone. I think you're very. I think you're free. I think you're kind of free when you're writing. Sometimes, I mean, that's yeah. how I feel. Like I write notes a lot. I write a lot of notes, which make scenes yeah. for me. Right, you know what exactly. I think, yeah. and so yeah. that for me works good too. I mean, a lot of people don't do that, but the ones that do always do no matter. And it's not just being old, you know, everything is age now. They go like, Oh, you know, this is from an older person. If you have a certain email address or this, whatever, it's not really true. It, it's not about age. It's just about, yeah. Technique. Well, I think, you know, I think that's right. It's about, 
physical deterioration and loss of abilities, which may be age-related, but, you know, I don't know. Well, Let me tell you just a little bit about the writing practice that Bob Ray and I used to do. We both finally, at a certain stage in our careers, went to write with Natalie Goldberg in Taos, and she did, of course, several books about writing, and primarily one is Writing Down the Bones. So what Bob and I did was take our classes from the university into the cafe called Louise's at the corner of East Lake and some street down there, East Lake and Louisa. And over the course of about 10 or 15 years, we had as many as 50 people doing timed writing, sitting around the tables wow. in there. Yep. We took mm-hmm. it over from on Tuesdays and Fridays. We took over the cafe after lunch uh, rush, and we got some people turned out some really fantastic work. One of our writers is named uh, Arlene Williams, and she wrote a wonderful memoir called The 39th Victim, and it is about the, well, the first line, I'll give you the first line of the 39th victim. Gary Ridgway murdered my baby sister. Now, Gary Ridgway was a Green River murderer, Green River killer. Uh, but Arlene was able to use the energy of the time writing around the table to create a first-class memoir that has all kinds of poignancy to it. Really great stuff. She then continued writing, and I think she wrote four or five novels. Uh, other people, you know, it was just, just such a grand thing that it was really a blow to me to have to stop going there. So when COVID came along, somebody, yeah. they sold the cafe, and it disrupted. But there's oh. a whole little history in Seattle of Louise's Cafe as a writing mecca, and a lot of people wrote there and wrote some really fine stuff. So I just wanted to toss yeah. that in as sort of a yeah. well. Know, I think you know, and I think that's a problem for a lot of writers now. I was telling someone that, and I think I wrote that somewhere that because I think what's happened is a lot of people did that and go to yeah. go, go to different Starbucks and whatever. And right now, people aren't even even though it's not COVID out there like it was. People haven't yeah. returned to doing those things because they used to go, and that's how people. I wrote a lot in Starbucks. I yeah. didn't, you yeah. know, not even in my office. I feel like just because I was looking around and you know whatever, and I could write better. I well, think Nick, when I was Nicole, just away from everything. Nicole, do you, do you everything. write outside or do you write in in your home all the time? Uh, I put a lot of work into my office and I love it. And yet for some reason I still find it hard to write in there. I usually like to go somewhere, yeah. a cafe, like you guys are mentioning or outside I know. Or somewhere. I know. I know. It's true. I don't know. We all, a lot of us have that issue that we do like to go out and you know, that is no matter how great our office is, we still want to be out. Just a feeling I think that a lot of us get. Or Jack, we don't, let, let's talk about your book for a little bit. Your new book? Okay. Uh, the latest so, one, this one, Man Alone? Yeah. Man Alone? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, Man Alone started out a couple years ago. Uh, well, I started writing it long in the way I – okay. And, but at that time, I was calling it Lucifer Rising. I didn't know why. It was a working title. And the deeper I got into it, the more I asked Dennis to read it. And, Nicole, you don't know Dennis Musk, but he, he's a – he now has all of his novels uh, published by Red Hen Press, and you know, he, he's been very successful in, in getting awards and stuff like that. Uh, so, okay, through the course of writing that novel, um, I realized that I wanted to get away from what I had been doing before, and this, in a way, was influenced by Bob Ray's a commitment to the mystery novel. He wrote seven really fine Murdoch mystery novels. And then he started writing something uh, that he just calls YOLO. And it's it's the most, the, the purest kind of pure writing that I've, I've ever read. Uh, it's just absolutely marvelous. I, I Every time he reads me a passage, I say, I've never read anything like that before. So well, what in that, that mean? environment. What, what, what technique is that? What technique is that? Well, this interesting thing, Marcia, uh, let me give you just a little bit of a lead-up to that. A few years ago, I read an essay by Edward Said, who was a 
sort of a literary philosopher, and he was mm-hmm. writing about uh, Adorno, who was a philosopher, and Beethoven. And in that article, he talks about their late style. And it took me a couple of years to, to come to grips with what late style was. And I realized that it's a style of writing or composing in which the artist, having assimilated and consumed and overcome all of the essential obstacles to writing or that art form, they step out into a whole new world and say, um, there is no more should in this writing. This is not what I should do. This is what you want or you have to do. You know, all the prescriptive writing just goes out the window, and it's like you're taking dictation straight from the unconscious mind. Your hand moves in what I call the undidden way. It's not You're not constructing anything. You're just taking it. And I think that that turns out that's the way Rilke wrote. That's the way Kafka wrote. All these writers didn't construct a thing. They just took it. Okay, so that's the background for man alone. And so here I am writing. I'm calling it Lucifer Rising. And I give a copy to Dennis. And he reads it. And he says, well, you know, this is really a, a book about man's, uh, man alone's conversation or uh, what do they call it, dialogue with self. And that suddenly hit me. There's the title, Man Alone. So I started looking at what I was doing in the book, and I realized that I have written five novels that have very powerful female protagonists or characters in them. And I I like to write about women. I, I think, you know, I've tried to go into that mindset of releasing my own my own female side, so I don't have to, am I writing her words or is she giving me her words? So it has to be interior. And I got to the point where I said, wait a minute, what's happening to the men in our culture? What in the world is happening to the young men? Where are they? You know, they're almost glued to their computers or their telephones or whatever, and are they reading? Yeah. No. Are they what, What's happening? Why? Oh, no. So I decided to push that side of it. And as I wrote, I stripped everything down. I took away the notion of the consistent character. I delved into the union notion of a polymorphic character. I wanted to shift points of view without the admonition. I took away a lot of the conventions. I don't use quotation marks. I don't use italics to indicate interiors. You know, it was just a a sort of a a final breaking away from the very structured writing that I did, say, like in Gabriella and the Widow or even Blood. You know, Blood is 120 sections based on the 120 Well, there's none of that in Man Alone. It's all about this guy, this man who has fallen so many times. He finally gets himself up. And and it's all about what happens to men in this capitalist, perverted, you know, predatory society of ours. And so, okay, that's my rant about Man Alone. Well, I think, think you know, men, no, I think what you're saying is probably a lot of things that are happening because that that's really true. I think, you know, you're talking about phones and all the things that preoccupy everybody now. Yeah. And yeah. with work and, and the number one word is stress. That's what everybody says when they just don't want to do something or they're right. They're into something else. They're going, Oh, I'm so stressed. You know, they can't handle anything. So I think, uh, what our society, they need to make some changes, I think, but I don't know that that will happen because everybody's so used to this kind of a world now where yeah. they well, are one of, the, one of the reasons I wanted to get to, to uh, Nicole about the violence of the martial arts is, you know, we are a violent culture. We have slaughtered everything. You know, we have killed the buffalo. We killed the passenger pigeon. We've killed the redwood trees. We've killed everything. What is going on? Are we really this tribe of killers? And what keeps us from expressing that violence used to be civilization, but I'm not even sure we're civilized anymore. 
you know. <laughs> and so the the question is, what does one do when you're writing a male character who is inherently violent but doesn't know how to direct the violence? That's why Nicole, by being a martial artist, is able to direct that in that inner anger or fear or rage or whatever it is. In Man Alone, I have Zine, I have. In Man Alone, Zine comes to grips with his own rage only after he acts it out, you see. And so it seems to me what I'm saying there is that the character cannot contain the killer urge or the violence, and that produces an incredibly violent society, and we see it every day. And I, I think deep down, Man Alone is about what is happening to our culture, what's happening to the society that we resort to violence. How can we even sit here and read an article about Putin making a specific statement that he is going to destroy Ukraine, not for any other except to destroy them? So anyway, Man Alone is kind of my answer to the, to the violence puzzle that's been Inherit, that we've inherited for the last three to seven million years, and I, I don't know what's going on there. But uh, uh, so do you think man. do you think there's a chance? Do you think there's a chance that there can be a change in the near future, or is it past that? Boy, that's, have we passed that's the point? a good question. I think we're too militarized, both in our minds and and in our bodies. I see pictures of young children being trained to shoot weapons. I think one of my other writers told me that she had just seen that a manufacturer had developed an AR an AR-15 for children. Okay. Think about that. I did. You know, I did have, see something on TV. They had a little pink uh, gun, you know, um, to attract females. You know, yeah. uh, they. This was a while ago. So I think, you know. I think that there's a lot of things that could be done. Will they? I don't know. I think, you know, it is a violent world, but more than that, people have really forgotten how to be nice to each other, and I think sometimes the isolation that COVID... You're absolutely right, Marcia, but see, we we know that we can do marvelous things. I mean, if you look, let's step off the planet for a minute. Look at the space program. My goodness, they're sending, you know, ships around Neptune and Jupiter and, you know, the Hubble is taking pictures of the universe like we've never seen before. Those are the marvelous things we can do. We can generate medicines that prolong our lives, but we do not have the political will to say no to violence. We just do not have it. And I think that my little book, Man alone is about our inability to say no to violence at every level. And until we can do that, we're lost. It's, it's, it's destroyed itself. We have, I'm ranting. I'm sorry. But Nicole, I like to do that, by the way. It's just rant. So. <laughs> but uh, you're an excellent ranter. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, you know, but, but, but the truth is, um, I think what a lot of times people are forgetting that we have a group of children and young adults and a little bit older than that, you know, in their 20s or whatever, watching all of this. And they are just, you know, they are confused about what their future is. They don't really know what they want to do later in life. They're not sure. And I think that's what's happening now. So I think people need to step back a little and care about, the younger people, because I think all of this is affecting them in a very big oh, yeah, way. Oh, yeah, I they, agree. Yes. And that needs yes. to be changed. But, you know, I, I don't know. This is going to be hard. Uh, somebody was on my show a few months ago, and we were talking about something in uh, just a conversation, mm-hmm. and they were saying bad things happened years ago. And if you look at the bad things that happened years ago, and then we got out of it, so that's what we have to think of now is that we're in a bad way, but we will eventually get out of it. Cause some, like there were a lot of the times in history, things were not great. So moving forward, I don't know when that would be, but hopefully we'll be on to better days. You know, that's yeah. what other, you yeah. know, when you look at the past, you know, but I think right now in the future, I think they need to hear more about what their kids are doing, 
what's happening. Um, I've been I've been watching, you know, about the opioids. There's a lot of stuff on Netflix. You know, there's a lot of movies about this now. And, I mean, there's a lot of things that are out there, and people are facing it, but they don't seem to do anything about it. So I'm hoping, you know, you got to be hopeful. Yeah. That's the thing. You yeah, know, yeah. so I think that's a good thing, you know. So, I mean, that's what I hope will be better for Well, what is the role of the writer, Marcia? Let me interrupt there. What is the role of the writer then in shaping that future? You know, okay, Nicole, you know is what the trying, problem is Nicole is trying to bring the, women, you know, into another domain of being where they're not identified as, by the necessarily who they sleep with, but, you know, what they are and what they do. And yet her... Right particular lifestyle in that mode is under enormous attack by the religious community. And as long as we have that kind of polarity that does not allow the individual to express their own individuality without some hammer coming down on them, how can we ever change and have peace? I I think that's a problem, but I also think, but look at the, look at, there's a writer's strike that should not be going on this long. Okay, because right. once you have a strike like this, you're not seeing really what's happening. I mean, I know people, you know, you people used to watch a lot of nighttime shows. They had a lot of yeah. political humor in it. There is nothing on now like that. Okay, they're all off because they're all, okay. The movies, whatever is there is there. People are not, you know, accepting new movies. And we need to start figuring out why this all happened because we need writers. I mean, this is this. We cannot have this happen. That the writers and the producers and the people. This this strike has affected so many things that that's the problem. And I think the writers strike before that was years ago. A lot of people I knew went out of business. Their production companies they could not stay mm-hmm. in. So I think now, beside that, you have a lot. You're going to have a lot of people out of work. I mean, there's the people that you know that do all the set designs, the props, everything. So I think we, all of the things that people will see new, they're not making them right now. So, Mm -hmm. and I do think a lot of people watch TV, they watch the news, they watch, you know, uh, the late shows. People are affected by that. That's how the world is now. But now I think more than anything what's happened is there's a lot of podcasts. So I think the podcasts are bringing information now to the people. But uh, when I when I started doing podcasts, nobody knew what they were. They go like, "What is that?" You know, and that was like 15 years ago. But now that is bringing news to people, and I think for writers, you know, this is I think we're going through a hard time right now. But I think that hopefully it will get better for everybody. Yeah, I don't know the answer, Nicole. Nicole, let me ask you directly. Let me ask you you directly, Nicole? Nicole. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is the purpose? What is the role of the writer in cultural transformation? Yeah. Well, the writer. <laughs> if you can answer that, job. you can make a million bucks. You know. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, debatable, of course. But I think if you yeah, were going to pick one answer and try to simplify it, I would say that it's yeah. to tell the tell truths that need to be told in ways that people who do not already understand them can learn to understand them. Okay, okay. So you think, so what, you think so that writers can't... You, you know, let's look at a writer, say, like going back in history to Orwell. Orwell certainly was a transformative writer, right? Yeah. Can we do... Can we, can we in our time, be allowed actually to do that uh, again, to, to redefine a whole cultural era with a few words? You know, the word 1984 pops into people's minds and yep. they automatically see it. What, what can we do as writers to sort of heal the wounds that are bleeding us dry? Well, either well, come up with something like 1984 to do it in one yep. fell swoop like that. I'm not sure the answer to that. That is possible that that was kind of a <laughs> pinnacle moment <laughs> in the work of many, many writers. <laughs> Uh, but, I mean, I well, think you just you expose what is not being seen. Like with Man Alone for You, Jack, you're taking on what's happening with men, right, and violence, right. repressed violence or, or unacknowledged violence, and what happens when the violence of human nature goes 
unacknowledged and trapped because we're all in front of computer screens or on phones or whatever right. it may be. It's not not even coming out through any kind of sport. It's just trapped. Is that what's happening? Or is it the relationships between men and women and that changing over time and something being lost along the way? Those questions well, that's that's how you look Nicole, at it. And then you Nicole, get other I wanna people ask, to look Nicole, at it. I wanna ask you a question. What what is your take on the LGBTQ feeling about what they portray in all of these movies and all the TV shows? Do you feel it's adequate or it's being explained wrong to people when they're watching? I wouldn't or say that it's wrong, but it is inadequate. There's there's not okay, enough out right. there. And okay. There's not a single point of view. So do you of think course. what's I mean, out there? Do you think what's out there shows the the side of the, a side that is not really the way the community is? They just are going for broke. I don't know why. You know, I see some of the scenes that they do, uh, and I'm thinking, why? You know, a lot of scenes in movies and play, they're just putting them in. They have nothing to do with it, really. You know, and I'm thinking, why aren't they getting to know the people? Why are they just putting them like in a in a sex scene? Because I don't think that it should be portrayed as only sex. I think it should be, sure. it's, just, it's, it's life. It, you know, do yeah. you agree on that, the way they're showing that? I mean, it's, it's like they add it in. It's not maybe part Absolutely. of the story, but then they go, yeah. Why do you, why do you think that's happening? That's the, the question. Why? I think that there's hey, a little I, confusion can, about what Can I jump in there just for a minute? See, I think that... Yeah. My my first question to Nicole was the question of a, a novel with lesbian characters as opposed to a lesbian novel. And Nicole has been working that way for a long time now. And what she does is say, look, okay, here's the culture, and these people are in it, and they are this way, and there's others that are that way, and we're all here together. Let's do it. See, right. so I think she, right, her right, writing right. actually becomes a roadmap for how to answer the question of what do we do with the diversity in the culture that's expressing itself right now. Yes. Accept it. See, and that's what makes yes. me sort of upset with the religious right and its you know, notion of, of whatever they're saying. You know, because Nicole has solved that problem. And I don't think, I'm, I know she knows it because I've read that she's read it. So there it is, you know. Right, right. So. But, you know, but, but they do portray and, you know, um, we have a lot of different issues that we've never had before, okay, because yeah. there's a lot going on. And I think that it's going to take people to, I think they need to just not care so much about what everybody does. It's just try to get along with everybody. I just, for me, I have no idea why it matters so much to people to insult other people. I don't think it's good and I think that's bad for our country I think we need to be more accepting no matter what religion we are what race we are and I think this is happening and and who people go to bed with I don't think that's that necessary I think we have to just accept people but that's utopia we don't have that now we have people yeah. that really are looking at people in the wrong way they're not, you know, yeah. it, it, a person, yeah. if they're gay, it, they're still a person. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure, Nicole, you get that feeling when what I'm saying. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like, you're the same as I am. We're just the same people. Well, Nicole, have I misrepresented your point of view? No, not at all. I, I think you hit it perfectly, and that's been a, a big frustration that has gotten better over time because it used to be that the only gay story you could really tell was either a tragedy or a coming-out story. And, uh, right. right, and that's that, not true. It's just a story. You can tell a story, you know, yeah, not just sexually. Right, not not only sexually. Sex comes into it. Well, that's like, you know, years ago when all that when I started doing shows, uh, we had a lot of erotic writers were on. And uh, a lot of those publishers are gone. And, Jack, you know that, right? I mean, you remember, there was tons of erotic publishers. There's not as many as there were. But I think, and that was coming out in, in those years, you know, and I had a lot of shows like that. And so, but then all of a sudden, Amazon decides they're not going to talk, they're going to put anybody that writes erotic on the bottom of the barrel. And that is terrible. And it's, they have to scrape up to get their stories told. You know, and it's yeah. just entertainment. You know, it's reading a book, watching a movie. I think that 
those things are very tough now, you know, because if you don't, like I'm writing sweet romance and some parts of it I like, but the parts that I don't like are that if I want to swear or because the characters do swear that market, I go out of clean romance immediately if I write that in a clean romance story. But people swear. <laughs> and so... Well, one of the things you're broaching there, Marcia, is the whole notion of genre. You know, if you publish yeah. a book, even even Man Alone, you have to have you know two or three tag words that tell you what it's about, because we're all right. about sticking things into small niches. You know, where yeah. people go into it. There's so much of it. It's like buying toothpaste. You know, good God, how many brands of toothpaste and kinds of toothpaste do you need? Well, the publishing industry has said we're going to categorize everything. We're going to situate it here. We're going to put it there. So that, so it's all about marketing and selling books. It's not about writing and presenting right. ideas. And right? I agree and that so because I think it's very stuck. hard on Amazon. It's very hard on Amazon because what I've heard from is when people, the first initial reviews that a person gets, then Amazon decides to put the category that they're in. I mean, we may not know it, but it goes in yeah. wherever they put it. Well, and you don't, yeah. let me, I mean, if there's, yeah. if let there's me, one or let two me, Let me break scenes, in there. Let me break in. Okay. My publisher yeah, for this Amazon. book, Lisa mm-hmm. Daly, runs Sidekick Press out of Bellingham, Washington. Uh-huh. And we were talking about what to do with, with Man Alone. And she said, well, we'll have to put it up on Book Beast. And I said, what is Book Beast? Well, she called Amazon for a tag book piece because it eats eats all these things and gives nothing back. You know, I mean, once it appears on Amazon, it it seems to filter out into the culture as as whole, and the writer never gets never gets to see how many of those books have been pushed out. You know, once it leaves Amazon, you can go to A Libris and find all of my novels. You can go to some places I've never heard of. And you never get any feedback at all about Nothing. any of those books that are out there. But so what's it's a the book answer piece, to that? And I really, I really fell in love that? with that phrase. You know, it's a great one. I, I thought, oh, what piece. am I missing? What is that? Never heard of that. But I, you know, and that is what happens. And that is what is so sad. If there's one sex scene, then you're in a different genre. Which it's a story. I think beginning, middle, and end. And I think when people write murder mysteries. There is a lot of sex in murder mysteries sometimes, but that's not classified as sex. It's classified as a thriller, murder, but there's sex in it. So, and that gets a better shot than if you put yeah, in well, then, sex. Let me romance. ask you both a question. Let me ask you both a question. Can you really write a happy novel? Is it possible yeah. to write a happy novel? Yeah, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> Who's going to buy it? Yes, it's like it a divorce. <laughs> A, divorce, a book on divorce. You really no, need a, you a book on you divorce. You don't a need a book novel. on divorce while you're getting divorced. No, but, you need a book on divorce <laughs> before you get divorced, you see. No, but. because you can write that. But when you're writing like a sweet romance, you, the end of the day, you want the people to get together, okay? And that's it. But it's not perfect because their life isn't perfect. So there is a drama, there's a part, even in romantic comedy, there's always some kind of dilemma. I mean, nothing goes perfectly smooth, and sometimes somebody loves someone, and then they move on and get married to somebody different. That's the way it is. There's nothing perfect out there. But I do think that Amazon, the way they rate the books and the way they put them in categories, it has ruined it for authors, and that's why people are getting out of writing. They don't want to write because they don't, they're looking at their numbers, they're looking at their reviews, they're not enjoying writing because they're not writing who what they want, they're writing what they think they should write, right, right. and that's a problem. So I think what that's a good way to put it, the beast. Oh, that's interesting. Well, but look, really doesn't something. the idea of genre actually limit creativity? Let me give you an oh, yeah. example. Okay. Yeah. When, they, when 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 we were teaching in the screenwriting program, the the, the instructors, uh, well, we taught it in several parts. Bob and I did one part; the others did another part. The the uh, Stuart Stern and Jeff Miller and Randy Sugo Coburn ran the actual formal part of the of the writing. And Jeff used to say, "Look, you've got 90 pages to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this. So what is it?" 
it's a test of your creativity. So in terms, right. it looks like that the screenplay format itself impinges upon the writer's abilities in such a way that he or she has to be creative within the constraints of the form. Now, I don't see that same thing happening in other genres. You know, the romance is the romance, the I mystery like is the mystery. Bob and I wrote a book called The Weekly yeah. Novelist Writes a Mystery where we talk about yeah. the, the 20 modular scenes that appear in every mystery. If you've got this kind of prescriptive work, how can you possibly be creative? Why do we even call it creative writing? See? Right. And I'm tossing that out there like a gauntlet. You know, somebody pick well, I it think up. Screenwriting, I think screenwriting, you know, like, well, I was an agent for all these years for screenwriters, but the fact is, and years and years ago, they go like, oh, no, we don't want horror. We don't want romance. We don't want um, fantasy. We don't want drama. I go like, like what, what do you want? I mean, you well, want a good want. story. You want a good story. <laughs> That's why my show was called A Good Story is a Good Story. That is what I truly believe. Just write a good story, and it should fit. But then you have all, like you're saying about Amazon, that classifies you in books, yeah. whereas a screenplay you're right. You could, a drama could mean anything, you know, or right, right. that that goes. You know, you you don't have to. You you just can write the story. When I wrote screenplays, which is I love screenplays, you just write. You don't have to. You just write the story as you see it. But in a book uh-huh. now, you have to look what genre you're going to be in, and that ruins it for a lot of writers. I think yep. it's ruining it oh, for yeah, writers. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Nicole, do you and find that impinging on your creativity? The, the fact yeah. you have to write in a certain genre. Talk, talk to us about that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't stand genre. I, I think that genre yeah. should serve to describe <laughs> books, but somehow yeah. it's flipped, and now writers are writing for yeah. genres rather than genres yeah. trying right. to describe writing. Right. And I, I find it infuriating. Yeah. And, like, so yeah. many just hard rules, like you said, Marcia, about not being able yeah. to cuss. I mean, that's a silly one, but, like, honestly, yeah. how – it's ridiculous people cuss but like all of a sudden you're not going to fit within your own genre conventions if you don't adhere to this rule i, I find yeah. all of that stuff just drives me up a wall remember remember the old right like my grandmother we used to she used to read all these romance books okay and she wrote she used to read on these little paperbacks harold robbins and all these people when harold robbins wrote a book he just wrote a book he put everything <laughs> through the sun in a book and you go like, oh, this is a good story. I'm watching it. And then it's a movie, and then it's whatever. But it was just whatever it was, there were so many different storylines that you wouldn't say like, oh, this is just romance, this is murder, because he had a lot in it. So, I mean, all those older yeah. books, like in the romance, and the, they did what they want. They were swearing. They did anything they felt like, sex scenes, drama, mystery, thriller, you know, love. Everything was in one book. You can't do that yeah. now because then you're going to – someone will say, oh, I didn't like that because this had a sex scene in it. And it's like yeah. so insane. Yeah. Well, I yeah, would I argue that I'm most, a, most, yeah. writers, most writers write their best work when they are not aware of such things. And some people think right. that, you know, an author's first work is best because they're so full of stories and yeah. – they're just free and they've got years and years to work on it versus adhering to deadlines all the time. Those things might all be valid, but I think a huge part of it too is learning about the industry and having all these things imposed on you. It does take away from your freedom. Yeah. Yeah. See, like let's look at at liquid Amber, for example, Nicole, I think that's a really fine, good novel. And yet your publisher probably would not do it because it wouldn't fit into the particular slant. And what's it called? What's the, publishing company that did the 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 clinch i've forgotten the name of it both jokes books yeah you know they yeah. would not look at liquid amber because it didn't fit into that niche right and yeah. yet right. Nor the book is just, just begging for readers you know it needs yeah. readers because it's talking yeah, right. about some really important stuff you know so i think that that's yeah how and a lot the, and a lot the, of times some of the publishers Whatever they put out, it's the same old, same old. They have the same mystery writers. <laughs> well, Hollywood is a great story. imitator of itself, you yeah, know. Right. Yes, yeah. yes, it is. Yeah. Well, However, the other issue is that you then yeah. have readers who only read the same thing over and over again. They've exactly. created right. this exactly. audience who only wants to take in the same kind of book over and over again. And there's nothing wrong with liking a genre, but it, it takes from readers as well. It takes from readers and writers. 
Yeah. Yep, exactly. Very good point, I think. You know, I think that what we have to do as readers is, in fact, not read what we expect to read, but to read what the writer has done. You know, saying, what is this guy, what is this woman, what is this guy doing? Yeah. How did they yeah. do it? Not does it, is it a, is it a mm-hmm. mystery? Well, I don't care if it's a mystery. You know, and, John, in a way, Marsha Tubdale's exactly what you said. If you tell a story, tell it right. And you can, right. you know, you, you can say, you know, there, I just lost my yeah. tongue. So, you know. No, but that's okay. right. No, it's right. You tell a story for what it is. And when I would sit down to write a screenplay, I would just write the story the way I see it. When I write yeah. a book, I'm getting, I inhibit, inhibit my, I, I do, I know what I do because I, you, you're already thinking about, what people are thinking. I never used to do that. And so I'm trying not to anymore because I'm trying just to write the story as I see it. And that's the way it is because I'm not writing like anybody else. I'm me. And I do think that a lot of people copy each other. I don't, I don't read a lot. I listen to audiobooks because it just, as I was telling Jack before the show, it just helps my mind because I listen to the dialogue. I listen to the story and it helps me think so I like that, but I think that a lot of people are just writing what everybody else writes, and that to me is not really coming from within. It's just doing what you think is going to sell. Yeah. And I'm not well, sure that all people you know, let me, let me just pass out an accolade yeah. here. This is what intrigues me about Nicole's writing: is that she approached it first of all as a story. This is a story, and right. I'm talking about dissonance and A-minor. This is a story about a rock musician trying to get into okay. it. She does it. You know, she just happens. She just happens to be gay, right? And so it, right. it wasn't with a didactic intent that she started to write that novel, but it was a right. good novel about a story on a, a character on a quest for success and, right. and happiness. So see, it doesn't have to be imitative if you just you know, go the whole, you have to, let me back up one step. You know, method actors have it really easy. They just have to be one character. The novelist has to be all those critters who are yes, wandering around exactly. in those pages. <laughs> right. You've got to be right. your, all your, yourself and all those others. And so you've got to probe deep. You've got to go deep into it. And that's where we start to touch the real, I think, core of creative writing is when we discover the other or ourselves in the other. As a writer, we discover all of those other characters in the same way that the method actor discovers him or herself in the character or puts him or herself into the yeah. character. I think we have to do that in order to write good stories. Well, and I, I think, you know, like I, you know, I write family stories, you know, like about the family. You know, and some are good characters, some are, you know, they're, they do some things that aren't possible, you know, they're not great, but they're a family. So, you know, when you watch like a soap opera, it's a family. When you watch Blue Bloods, it's a family plus murder, you know. But when you're writing with a lot of characters, they're all different. They shouldn't sound the same. And so you have to really understand each character and know what they can do. And sometimes they just can't do what you want them to do. Right, and right. mine, you know, I, what I've started to, now there's another category out there for, with, you know, for age, you know, love at any age. Or because in the stories, I think there's a large audience over 50 or so that they want to read books about characters like them. So a person get, people getting married at an older age, what's wrong with that? Nothing. So I think yeah. that's what we have to do is just look around, sit down, yeah. and there are just yeah. a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people are different. So if you add characters in it, it's usually interesting because you're finding yeah. out about people. And I, I've been reading books like that. And I'm not actually listening to them for a lot. And that's what I think people should just try to write what they see and what they're feeling, not a character well, there's a little, else there's a little, That's a bit of a problem because that, that goes back to that notion of write what you know. You know, right. I mean, if if you write what you know, uh, you're pretty limited in what you know. That's what you're going to limit yourself to is what you know. And there well, you are in the vicious yeah. cycle again. <laughs> see, so I like my my thinking is that you have to read 
not specifically novels, even in the genre that you might be writing in, but you have to read books on neuroscience and psychology and yeah. history and sociology and anthropology. And art. You read as widely as you can because that's the only way you can discover the world that lies outside yourself. If you write only what you know, then you're limited to your ego trip, and that right. gets really tiresome after a while. However, so. due to COVID, people are now there, I think, they're watching a lot of series and shows that they may never have watched before, so and right. in different genres. So I think people yeah. are now uh, trying to go into different genres because of mm-hmm. TV. There's so everything's a series. So I think that that's what people are seeing now, and I think so. You know, that sometimes the continuation of a story people like right now. That's what they're liking. Yeah, yeah. If they like the character, they want to see more sometimes about that character. That's what's out yeah. there a lot. There's a lot of theories. Now, it's interesting that you bring that up about people watching stuff because, uh, yeah. you know, I like to relate everything to my own ego sphere. You know, I like to relate it to myself. <laughs> you know, that's that's what life is all about. <laughs> anyway, yeah. in, in, pieces, in pieces, I wrote an essay called How to Watch TV Like a Writer. You know, and that's uh-huh. if if you if you that's go passive and just let the let the sto- flow over, well, you don't get much out of it. But if you can engage in it as a writer, looking at what the writer has done to produce that image that you're watching, then you can learn a lot about storytelling itself and about yourself and about the other writer. Because in that case, you're looking at what the writer has done, not whether he or she satisfies what you want. There's that big divide between what you expect as a, as a consumer and what the writer has done with the work. And I think that if you watch TV like a writer, read that essay and watch TV like a writer, it'll open your mind to a whole new way of looking at things that are flashing on the screen in front of you. Oh, yeah. I'm so. always changing the character. I'm always saying, why didn't they do this or why didn't they do that? How about you, Nicole? Do you watch TV a lot or no? Um, I yeah. wouldn't say a lot, but I definitely do experience it as a writer, as you guys were saying. I think it's hard to turn it off at some point, and yeah. it's interesting, <laughs> right. and I'm, I'm curious I'm curious yeah. for you, Jack, because you're kind of talking about just appreciating what the writer has done, whether it's what you want as a consumer or not. Do you find yourself yeah. as a writer kind of wishing that, like, just with your deep knowledge of storytelling, do you see the, those things as mistakes when they go a different road than you would have gone, or do you find a way to just appreciate it and connect with what, yes. what they've chosen? Exactly, exactly. Appreciating writing for the writing, you know, not for what it gives you, but, you know, what the guy has done. That's so important. You know, that's yeah. like, you yeah. know, you're, yeah. you know let me pass out another accolade. Nicole, you write really well. I've always been stunned with some of the way, some of the sentences that you put out there. And there are many times, in, in, even in as early as uh, Dissonance in A Minor, that I'd stop and read a sentence a couple times, not because I was trying to figure it out, but just for its melody. So I really appreciate that, see. And uh, I don't expect it, but when it comes, I said, holy Toledo. That's why Dennis Musk shocks me sometimes. He just <laughs> he writes these, these things that just drop you into a hole, and suddenly you're in a whole different experience, you know. And uh, Well, that's a good thing. Uh, I mean, anyway. that's always a good thing. That's a good thing about when you're, when you're reading a book, when you're watching something, when someone makes a change in it, and you go like, oh, this is good. <laughs> that came out yeah. of nowhere. So I think that those yeah. are the things, and there are a lot of good writers out there, but I do think right now we're going to be in trouble if they don't solve things. They need to, you know, because okay. a lot can of we, people will give we, up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Marcy, can we change direction here? From, Nicole, do you have something that you're working on or something you'd, you'd read to us that you've, that you've got there? Do you have access to it at the moment? Because maybe people might like to hear some of your words. Ooh, I did not come prepared for that. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. We're gonna we're gonna end the show anyway. It's after it's an hour already. Yeah, because Nicole, will you come on again and read something? Absolutely, I'd love to. Okay, okay. All right. I'm not. I, you know, we I, I used to have shows like that, and some people do come on and and want to read, but you know, she's not prepared. So I guess we'll just. Uh, Talk yeah. about well, Jack, I just any thought I'd, I'd put her on the spot to but, see how adaptive she is, yeah. you know. 
I know. I was ready. I was looking through my computer. I'm like, I know. I don't do that. I know. That's the one thing I don't do on my show because it's not fair. All right. So, Jack, what's next for you? I don't do that. What is next for me? Well, that's Uh a big question. That's a big question because this late style thing sort of pushes some some buttons, you know, and uh, Dennis and I and Bob talk about this a lot of what do you do when you run out of roadmap? You know, what do you do if you, you know, you yeah. reach the end of something and you realize, wait a minute, where do I go now? There's a German novel that has nothing to do with it except the title. So, kind of on was nun, you know, nun. Yeah. But what, what now, little man? Well, I don't know. I've I've yeah. written, uh, you know, so much stuff, and I go back and look at some of the early work that I did, and I say, yeah, there's a germ there, but, boy, I, I don't know if I can develop it. So I'm I'm really strapped right now. So what I was actually thinking about doing, and I haven't done much on it yet, is uh, do you know George Simenon? He he wrote the uh, May Gray series, the detective, the French detective. Well, I thought, well, maybe I'll do a, a fan fiction thing here and write about Madame May Gray's uh, romance with a young uh, medical student. <laughs> 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 that, that, doesn't, that doesn't seem, you know. So well, instead of writing about it. the detective, to write about the love affair the detective's wife has with a medical student. But I don't I think, think that. I'll do I it, think but. that will work. I think that will work. It's a whole new genre. Nicole, it's a whole new genre. Nicole, what's next for you? What's on your agenda? Oh, I'm. I don't really have direction right now. I'm just kind okay. of go, going with the flow. <laughs> Yeah, okay. it's, it's a very like it's it's actually a, a really creative space when you give in to not needing direction. So I'm kind of trying to just embrace that. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. know, you'll find. You know what? It'll come to you. It will. It will. It just it it happens just like that. You know, and you'll be just sitting there, and something will, and you'll just go, "This is it." So, all right. Thank you yeah, both Marcia. for being on the show. Yes, me. Yeah. Okay. All right. We have to talk well, about Marcia and I right. have, have talked about the question of patience. You know, we think that uh-huh. writers always have to be with their, you know, their pencil on the paper, writing and writing and da da da. But thinking, thinking is pretty much a a big part of that, you know. And so I I, I appreciate and admire that you're willing to take the time to wait for it to come. I think that's very important as a for. A I think it is because then the right story comes to you. You know, it does. Yeah. You know, just to you know, for some people, just to put something down and write that. I don't think Nicole probably writes like that. I think she, you probably have to have it in your mind, right? I think that yeah. seems like what you would, yeah. All right, so um, thank you both for being on the show. I appreciate it. It's great as always. And um, you're both excellent writers, and I'm glad that you have that Zoom going. So that c- continues on. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Marsha, for having me. Uh, and, thank and you. Really great talking to you like this. Okay, so we will see you sometime then. All right. All right, thank you. (laughs) Not on Zoom. Okay, bye. Bye, thank you.